You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust, bringing conservation to the forefront. Hey everybody, welcome back to Campfire Conversations. It's Sam Parrott, Membership and Outreach Associate at the Land Trust, sitting here with Cody Folt. Hey everybody. Hope y'all had a uh, wonderful Thanksgiving and uh, spent a lot of time with the family and hopefully in the outdoors enjoying this wonderful weather and some not so wonderful weather that we had this past weekend. Um, so we're going to spend this episode today talking a little bit about our weekends, about the Land Trust Sportsman Access Program, which is our hunting access program that we've started here at the Land Trust, and uh, just kind of see where this conversation takes us. Anything you want to you wanna say before we get started, Pip? No, man. Um, hit it. So... When I started at the Land Trust, got closing in on two years ago, one of the first things that we did, and my boss, Mikey, uh, who is actually Cody's significant other, uh, one of the first things that we discussed when I came on the job was engaging hunters in what we do here at the Land Trust. And the solution that we came up to that problem was we have land holdings that the Land Trust owns and manages, uh, Cody manages them, of about 3,000 acres. And we decided this is land that used to be leased to individuals to hunt on, and we decided to open it up to the public so that anybody who wants to join the program can get out there and get a chance to hunt on that property. It's a lottery program, so um, there's no guarantees, but so far we have 142 members and nobody has yet to get drawn, except for your friend. But he will get drunk. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you hang out with me, that's bad luck. Right here, so. Yeah, everybody's getting drawn um, for at least a week. Yeah, so, at least a week. So they're, they're having a good time. Everybody's getting the opportunity to get out on some managed, conserved property. Yeah, and, and the thinking behind that was, one, let's open it up. We're big into public access here. Cody and I are big public access folks, and our whole staff is. And two... Uh, as a conservation organization, it's really good to let people put their boots on the ground on land that we're actually managing and conserve so they can see the work that we're doing, the kind of land that we're protecting, and, and the benefit of that. And uh, there's no greater benefit than going out and being able to hunt on it and see wild game and to get to experience that. It's just uh, people really seem to enjoy it. So uh, the segue into why we're going to talk about our weekends is... Sam and I, I put our money where our mouth is. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, uh, we did. So the other, the other deal with the Sportsman Access Program is prior to that being instituted, um, staff who actually worked and managed the property didn't even have the opportunity to get out and recreate on it because it was under a lease. With this option, as long as it's open to anyone, so that includes staff, so Sam and I have both join this program um, at the sportsman level. Um, I think that's where Sam's going. That is where I'm going because I, I actually put in for the program, purchased a $100 membership, and ended up getting a draw for this past week on the Point property, which is at the confluence of the Yakin and the South Yakin River. And so what block? I, what block you get? I got. Or is that too much? Yeah, but let me let me back it. Let me back it up for a second. So. What tree you hunt? <laughs> I'm not going to give out any trees, no blocks. Uh, but I did something this year that I've never done before, which was 
I bailed on Thanksgiving with my family to go <laughs> to go hunt on my sportsman draw. So my my folks wanted me to go down to Georgia with, to meet up with the family for a family reunion kind of deal. And I'm 25 years old. For the first time, <laughs> for the first time, I told them, guys, you know, I've been here on this on this planet with you for a quarter of a century. <laughs> I've been to every Thanksgiving, but I've got this draw opportunity I'm really excited about. I, I'm i running the sportsman program in terms of, you know, dealing with members and, and keeping track of the draws and all that. And I, until this past weekend, had never harvested a deer in North Carolina, and let alone on the sportsman property. So I was like, that's got to change. <laughs> so I you're, tired of, you're starting to hate something that you're trying to sell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. That I that I'm selling this product and I'm not getting this the product so good it'll take you away from yeah. Thanksgiving turkey <laughs> yeah. with <your> family. <laughs> yeah, so better or worse. <laughs> so to their chagrin, I did not go home for Thanksgiving and I stayed here and I hunted every day, all day sitting. I like that. Yeah, did I put in some serious time and. Uh, saw a bunch of deer and had a great time hunting and you know nothing makes me feel more thankful uh, during Thanksgiving than getting to spend time in the woods so had a great week but slowly you know over the week I would pass up on a few shots and uh, was looking for the right deer and it got to Saturday my last day of my draw week and I hadn't I hadn't done anything yet so crunch time it was crunch time for sure um to backtrack this even further, Cody about a month ago had come into my office and said, I want to give you something. I said, I want to give you a lucky elk ivory from when I was out in Montana. And it gave me this elk ivory that had been sitting on my keyboard in my office. So crunch time Saturday, I had to pull in by the office and come get that elk ivory, which I was rubbing like a rabbit's foot in my pocket all day. Makes all me day. wonder, why did I wait till Saturday? <laughs> I don't know if I believed in it. Told you it was real. I, I, I didn't think I believed it, but at that point I was I was grasping for straws. So you had a buddy with you though. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, mm-hmm. you guys drew together. Yeah, we sure did, and that's a good point. Um, he so, had, he had not pulled the trigger as of yet. No, I had not pulled the trigger as of yet. And um, yeah, so I got the elk ivory because I was grasping at straws. It was a rainy day. We went out there. I sat in the rain. Uh, serious downpour, freezing cold. Um, but I was hoping that as the rain subsided, it's rut time right now, those bucks were going to start coming out and the deer were going to start coming out and on the back side of that storm, which they did. And I was sitting there, the rain, I haven't told Cody the story yet. So the rain subsided and I had put myself on a spot with two shooting lanes off to my left and to my right. Not great visibility, but good shooting lanes. And I'm sitting there, the rain's subsiding, and I hear something behind me. And I slowly turn my head, and there is a very nice eight-point buck at 30 yards. Oh. And he is coming into my shooting lane as I see him first. And as I make eye contact with this deer, he hits my scent hard. And every single muscle in his body locks. You can just you can see it happen. And I reached my hands and put them on my firearm in front of me. And the thing about the spot was I was only 10 feet off the ground. So 
I put my hands on my firearm in front of me, but he was so locked on to me that we just had to stare off for two minutes. And then he went running off. And I thought I'd look, I, the ivory brought the luck into me. He, it, I, it did everything it was supposed to do, and I blew it. So I was beating myself up. Sat for the rest of the afternoon. Moved, moved locations. Uh, was thinking, I just, you know, I blew it. And at the last hour uh, of the last day, I had a deer walk out and was, was fortunate enough to harvest it. Um, my first North Carolina deer, and I would just, you know, the sports program came through for me. So, awesome. Really good. Now, let's talk about you. <laughs> Two weeks ago, had yourself a draw. Yeah, I, uh, so, unlike Sam, I have lived in North Carolina. I grew up here taking many a North Carolina whitetail. Uh, but the older I get, I've gotten more selective with my buck harvest. And that went from being not selective at all to fairly selective, but still having a concern for filling up my freezer. Let me interject here for a second. I think your talk about being selective is a little bit of a jab. At the, at the harvest that I had, I'm not. I, I'm not down in anyone's whitetail. I think any whitetail in a freezer is a good, good whitetail. Okay. Right. Um, but so this, the one piece of property that's in the sportsman program has a mature deer policy. I guess you could put it, a mature male deer harvest policy, where in that bucks have to be of an eight point or larger frame before you can harvest them and it be in compliance with the program. And that's because this particular piece of property doesn't doesn't harbor a huge amount of deer, um, but the deer it does have have a significant chance of becoming a large whitetail buck. Um, so and and to tie on to that after the first year of the sportsman program, which was at the end of this past year, um, it was it's a new program. It's something that we were trying to work out, and really, the people who are who have joined this program as members are dictating how we kind of operate it to an extent. So, yeah. what we decided to do was I sent out a survey to everybody who was a member of the program at that time and said, "What changes? We here are a few suggested changes that we've heard about." What changes would you like to see? And we got about a 50-50 split on some people saying, I would like to retain no antler restrictions. And then the other 50% saying, I want an eight-point restriction. Sure. So we decided the best solution was keep the point property up here at the Davy Rowan line with no restrictions. Because last year we had a guy go out with his recurve bow and kill his first deer ever, which was a spike with his recurve bow, but still a trophy in that Mm -hmm. sense. And... Then for the guys that wanted that restriction and wanted to try to harvest those big mature bucks, the Low Water Bridge property that Cody was talking about, grows those really big bucks, and that's a place where that's what you're, you know, that's what you're into. You can go and you can go and get after that. Yeah, and to be clear, I voted against the point restriction because I like knowing that if I go to the woods, there's a good chance I'm going to carry something out. (laughs) But. Nonetheless, says the guy who's just talking about being selective. Selective, yeah. Well, I like it to be a personal decision, not something that I'm told I have to do. Rules, sure. Yeah, I don't like rules. <laughs> um, but this, the reason I put in for this particular uh, block in, in Montgomery County is because it's close to where I live, and uh, 
it does have the potential for some some, some whitetails. So I I'm a I'm a black powder hunter. Uh, prefer black powder. Uh, have only harvested deer with black powder this entire season. Um, so I'm hunting black powder on this place and first morning the, the draw starts actually on Sunday but it's a scouting day for hanging stands you know getting out getting familiar um, and then your actual hunt week starts Monday and runs through the following Saturday and then you've got the next Sunday to take stuff down while the new group's coming in um, I hunt pretty much either off the ground or out of a climbing stand all the time so didn't need to hang a stand since I am the land manager, I was fairly familiar with the property, so I did not scout. Um, Sunday, my brother and dad had actually drawn the block adjacent to mine the same week. They got down late, so no need to, no chance to scout. We uh, we've all hunted there before and, and just decided to go in with fresh eyes Monday morning. Um, Monday morning, I make it to the spot we've had two hurricanes and so quite a bit of debris down everything was a little bit different than i remembered but i still managed to get to the location i was thinking would be a good funnel for these deer um, climbed my tree and at eight o'clock the first deer of the morning comes walking by and he is a mature eight pointer 19, 20 inches wide, 12 inch G2s with a drop time that's about three inches long off of his right main beam. Well, the thought process in my head was, yep, he's big enough. I'm on him. It's now or never. And then the smoke rolls. Um, this deer, I had one little window to shoot through. Um, long shot for a muzzle. It was about 75 yards. Um, shoot this deer. He goes to the top of the hill. I see, I'm watching through the binoculars. Because it was funny, the way if you deer hunted much, when a deer um, is shot, they typically have reactions that you can gauge how well you did with your shot placement. This deer, instead of doing the textbook buck, jump and kick, your hind legs and run like hell um, he just trotted up the hill with his tail normal um, not tucked between his legs not held straight out um, trotted up the hill got to the top of the hill I could see him I've only got one shot because I'm hunting with a muzzleloader I could see him through the leaves with his uh, with his with his tail away from me he's looking around turning his head twitching his tail like everything's fine and he just walks out of sight. So I was I was really beating myself up thinking I took too quick of a shot. Um, you know, I must have hit a limb, didn't hit this deer at all, or my muzzleloader's off, you know, I, maybe I bumped it or something. And because I didn't see that mule kick, I didn't see I didn't see anything that indicated there was a shot that was a vital shot. Um, sat there for a while, had multiple other deer come through the same path a, uh, a young year and a half old spike comes up the same path gets to right where I shot the deer and stops looks at the ground and starts sniffing the ground and tracking the same way that buck I had just shot at ran um, so I, uh, I thought at that point I thought at that point I've, I've, I've had to hit this deer that, that other buck smelled that deer and so 
I, I climb down. It's been about an hour. Walk over there. Sure enough, good blood, long blood. Um, track this deer to the top of the hill from the last place I saw him, and there he is, 20 yards away from the last place I saw him, piled up. And turns out it was a great buck. And I had shot this deer 30 minutes into my hunt on my draw week um, with basically no effort. Um, felt a little guilty about it, to be honest. Well, that leads me that leads me into a point, which is I did something that I you did something that I wish I had done. Which <laughs> there's a hunter conservationist that Cody and I both uh, admire, named Giannis Putellis. And Giannis has a saying that is, I don't know if he can he can give him credit for this quote, but it's his quote: "Don't pass up." on a harvest on the first day that you'd be happy to take on the last day. Sure. Good, good advice. And I feel like I did just that on my hunt, thinking, you know, I was meat hunting, but I was thinking, oh, man, it's rut time. I had does coming by, and I was like, you know, let's see what happens. And led to a lot of stress <laughs> come late in the week when I'm rubbing on your elk ivory yeah. trying to... <laughs> <laughs> trying to Stri- muster up any you have stress on <laughs> no it's not not stress just I, I I'll tell you why there was stress I'll tell you there there was stress and I'll tell you why there was stress the thought of coming back to the office after skipping Thanksgiving <laughs> and telling you and, and the <laughs> staff and my parents that despite missing Thanksgiving to hunt I I had failed yeah that's a I wouldn't want to tell that story either. I'll be honest with you, that's a that's the walk of shame. After the thirty day. hours. Yeah. yeah. I, at least in the woods. And so. with our work schedule, this was pretty much the this, this was last week was the week we were gonna get to hunt. Yeah. Um, or, you know, fill up our freezers kind of thing. Just because it's it's gonna get busy again. Um, and yeah, I I can see that. I did not have that problem. With my first deer, but also <laughs> my family and I, we we need about six deer a year to make me feel good about what's in the freezer. No meat crisis. Yeah, I, I don't like I don't like looking in there and seeing eight packs left when bow season's rolling around. I like looking in there and seeing a whole deer that I can move to the top of the freezer and move my fresh kill to the bottom. Sure. Um, I like to be prepared for the for the worst. Um, but that, I didn't have that problem with that buck. It was a great buck. Um, it was one that I'm, I'm definitely going to display at the office. The other thing that I wanted to touch on, which you, which you talked about, was your deer's, your deer's reaction to the shot. So the deer that I shot was back to what I thought was a jab from Cody. What I thought was a doe when I pulled the trigger, which ended up being a nubby button buck but when I pulled the trigger on that deer like Cody was talking about earlier it had that typical mule kick look to it it, it just I good. mean it fired its legs up out of the air what when you see that reaction does that make you, does that make you feel good what do you think when you see that I, I think it I think it's, it's double long um, possibly hard but I always feel like it's it's in the pump station. You don't think it's reactionary, and that even if you miss a deer, no, it would have that. I've reaction. never seen it on a missed deer. I, but I tell you one thing that for me, up until that buck I shot, um, a 
a telltale thing for me is their tail. If they run away with their tail down, that's a good sign. That's a, I'm trying to hide and get away because I'm hurting sign. Mm -hmm. And it won't be long when you're going to find that deer. But if they run away with that tail up and flagging, showing the woods that, you know, hey, something's up and it's, it's not natural here, that's not a good sign. That's, that's not a good sign at all. Speaking of, all right, before I get back to where I was going, I've had this thought before, but what is the evolutionary purpose of the white tail flipping when there's danger? Give me, give me what your thoughts are. I have my own theory on this. You know, just looking at it from from the herd animal standpoint, I feel like it's just a, a great warning, um, and it's also probably causes hesitation among natural predators when they see that amount of action. And especially when there are multiple deer doing it, it's probably confusing. And I feel like it probably helps them elude predators a little bit better. That's a that's a straight up yes. I couldn't tell you for sure why they've evolved into a flaggy white tail. I was thinking about it while sitting in the woods this weekend and it made me think of redfish with that spot tail. And how a predator might go for the tail, seeing that, it confuses them. seeing yeah. that what looks like an eye, and a predator attacking the tail side of a redfish because of that confusion is beneficial for that that fish escaping. I was wondering if the white tail might be, you know, something to confuse a predator coming after them, so they attack its rear instead of its front half. It very well could. I definitely think it's a confusion aspect. And it's also just a great signal um, for the other deer reading body language. And as far as that goes, if you spend time in the woods, it's a good way for you to read body language of a deer as well. Um, tail and ears. If you've been around horses much, the ears are a dead giveaway to a horse's mood. Um, if you're riding a horse and his ears are laid back, he's not too happy with you. Uh, same goes for a deer. Um, and their ears are laid back, matted back against their neck. Um, they're definitely in a, in a foul mood over something. Yeah. Um, if they're up and alert, sticking straight ahead, they're onto something. They either smell you, they've heard something, they've caught a glimpse of movement. Um, you know, relaxed ears, all that's body language. And uh, I think it's neat. The reason I asked about the mule kick was the deer that, that I harvested had that mule kick. And I felt pretty confident, like you, yeah. you were saying, you feel confident. So I put my gun down, and um, I'd been sitting in the rain all day. I was shaking like a leaf, uh, mostly because of the cold, but maybe because of the excitement as well. Sure, adrenaline makes you cold. Sure. And sat there for about 30 seconds and then saw a deer through the same cutover, cutting back in the opposite direction, hunched down, um, sneaking. And I thought it was the same deer, and mm -hmm. that won the shot. Gave it 45 minutes and then walked down at dark. I'm a little bit about me. I'm red and green colored blind, so following <laughs> following a blood trail for me is extremely difficult. So I couldn't find any blood. Uh, but I followed the deer in the direction the deer that had walked away, following its direction, thinking that must have been the deer. Followed it because I could smell the deer, and ended up jumping a deer on the edge of the woods and thought that I had bumped this deer and that I'd blown it and it was going to be a heck of a track that night. Left for a couple hours to give it time, came back, and the mule kick, 
theory stands because the deer that I had actually shot was not that deer. It was sitting about 20 yards away. There you go. It's right there. That's it was, right it was dead before mm-hmm. he the ground. Yeah, it was right there. To, to tie this whole thing together and to give us a little theme or um, a lesson about this, let's touch on why we think hunting plays a role in conservation and the element of why hunting is important in that. Because yeah. I think a lot, we, we touch on a lot of different demographics here at the Land Trust and reach out to a, a bunch of different interests, um, one of those being hunting. But a lot of times people that aren't, don't grow up in hunting families may not understand sure. the role that hunting plays in conservation. Well, I think for me, it was the, it's what got me interested in the outdoors. Uh, granted, I grew up in a hunting family and on a farm, so I was going to be in the outdoors whether I wanted to or not. But the, the hunting part um, definitely got me interested in it and got me to the point where that's what I wanted to do with my career and began to learn that hunters as a group are the reason there are wildlife still available here in the United States. Um, Touch on that. They, uh, in the beginning, market hunting was a was was basically how the country was made. Was through fur trapping and market hunting of waterfowl. Um, the whole country that was a huge resource, and that was a way that the country was able to exploit resources for economical gain. Uh, hunters. Especially, you know, everybody's heard of the, you know Roosevelt and the great things he did for conservation. But there were a lot of hunters during that time frame that began to notice that, hey, we're we're, we're actually depleting our resource here. We need to set some restrictions. And we need to come up with some some ways to, uh, you know, maintain this and pay for it. So that was when um, there were a, a ton of things put into play. Um, game regulations was one instituted by hunters. Bag limits bag instituted limits. by hunters during the Depression era when, when they needed it. The when they needed it more than anything, but you know the importance of maintaining these populations. It was more important. They, sure. they, wanted, they wanted it to be there, um, and then a couple of acts, um, congressional acts, were passed in order to get that funding. Um, as much as I would like to say that it's not about government decisions, in this case, it was certainly about the public making a vote the hunting public making a vote for wildlife. for wildlife and the vote was um, two things it was the Pittman Robertson Act and it was the Dingle Johnson Act um, these two acts took excise tax off of various hunting related equipment or fishing equipment regarding the Dingle Johnson Act um, excise tax off of that stuff that hunters and anglers were purchasing and funneled it directly back into wildlife for either state agencies to you know, implement management or pay biologists to do research or all the different things, you know, public land acquisition, everything, that's where that money went. Mm-hmm. And it still goes there today and it's a it's a billion dollar pot. Billions, yeah. That that would not be there without hunters and anglers. So that's a, if you're if you're not on board with hunting, you don't have to be, but certainly know that hunters do pay the way for wildlife that, that everyone enjoys. Um, and that's that that's just one part of the argument. Um, I don't and that's not why I hunt. That's not that's not why I hunt at all. I, I don't hunt because I want to buy a license and, and spend some money for wildlife because if that was the case, I'd just donate to the land trust and call it good. Um, that's not the reason I hunt is because 
it's a primal instinct for me. I, I like I like to eat wild game. I like to know where it came from from the moment that it was harvested until it was wrapped up in freezer paper and put in my freezer and then put on my grill. I like that aspect of it a whole lot, and it's it's a it's a great pastime for me, and that's that's why I do it. Um, I like I just like that aspect of it. Sure. As we as we close this down. I'll make one sales pitch, which is the Land Trust is doing a week of giving right now, um, starting today, November 27th for Giving Tuesday that's lasting the rest of the week, where we have a $10,000 price match. Right now we're sitting, you know, it's noon on Tuesday, and we've already got $6,000. Yeah, that's uh, great. It's committed towards that price match, so that's multiplied that by two with the price match. That's $12,000. It's going re- directly to local conservation here. But we really like to unlock that full 10 and anything more, all the money that's getting donated is going to our conservation efforts. So if you hear this and, and um, like local conservation here in the central Piedmont and the work that we do, please go onto our website, threeriverslandtrust.org. Go right up on our homepage. It's going to be the Giving Tuesday link. You can click on it, see some videos, some really what I think are exceptional videos explaining what we're doing. Uh, you can watch those and, and donate to our, to our calls, and we'd really appreciate it. Uh, one thing that I did when I made that website was I put in the conservationist challenge, which when you donate, you have to, there's a question, a mandatory question that says, what are your, what's your favorite outdoor recreation oh, hobby? Yeah. So that we can, because really we're funded by, like I said, all demographics of, of conservationists, whether you're a hiker or a hunter, you're a fisherman, you're a paddler, whatever it may be. So that's one way that we can just tally and show uh, and explain how all these dim- different demographics are supporting the work that we do. Um, and from what I've seen with the 6,000 that's come in so far, over 50% has been from hunters that's great. coming into us. So being here in the central Piedmont in North Carolina, uh, rural area between urban centers, that is a big demographic of conservationists that we have here, and I'm really glad we're, we're tapping into that and, um, and all other dem- different demographics. This episode's been about hunting, but uh, expect episodes about all different kinds of outdoor recreation as we keep doing this podcast, and uh, we'll hopefully touch on everything. Yeah, get out there and, and buy a hunting license. Yeah, whatever it is that you like to do, keep doing it, and we'll hopefully keep on putting land on the ground for you. So happy belated Thanksgiving, and uh, I guess... Close it out. Close it out. If you like us, you're riding down the road, listening to the podcast on your commute. Well, when you get to where you're going, don't forget. Like us on Facebook. Check us out at our website, threeriverslandtrust.org. You'll find out about all the events we're putting on, how you can get involved, how you can help, how you can participate. We'd love to meet like-minded individuals and get you involved in conservation. Till next time.